Uh, We are in Genesis chapter 45, and if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and uh, our brother Dave would be glad to get one to you. Keep up your hand so he could see you there, a couple here and there. Genesis chapter 45, uh, we're only just several short weeks away from finishing up here in the book of Genesis, and then of course we are launching our Built Life groups come uh, the second week of October. The first week of October we will gather here for our our last regular type of gathering uh, for what we're calling Built Collective, kind of bringing all the groups together and uh, coming together to have a time of prayer and worship to kind of to launch out from, from there into our Built Life groups. And if you haven't yet signed up for uh, a Built Life group, don't hesitate. You can do that. You can do that on our website. You could do that on the app, or you could stop by the info counter after service and uh, sign up there at the info kiosk. There's iPads there that you could just put your information right in and get connected to a built life group. So uh, looking forward to that, but we're going we're gonna to finish out the book of Genesis here in the next several weeks. Today, chapter 45, continuing this study and continuing uh, this study through the life of Joseph and seeing so many of these parallels of Christ throughout, and we're going to see some more of those today, uh, uh, how Joseph is in many ways a type of Christ here in Genesis, that we get to uh, look at the, the scripture, look at the Old Testament even through that lens of seeing Christ in, in all things, truly, because the Bible is about Jesus. And so we begin in Genesis 45, verse 1. It says this, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Beginning here, these first few verses, this chapter is the revelation of Joseph. We've seen a bit of back and forth here that he knows who he's dealing with. He's seen that this is, in fact, his brothers who sold him into slavery so many years earlier, and now... Uh, he's kind of watching things play out and, and participating in things as they play out according to God's plan. And now he's got uh, this opportunity. And, and at this point, he couldn't wait any longer. He cried out. He could not restrain himself, as it says. As he watched and he listened to the pleas of his brothers, He couldn't bear it any longer. He couldn't contain himself or restrain himself any longer. Now, this, of course, was a a sudden occurrence. He's had several encounters with his brothers, and he's got really looks like he's got everything under his control. But what we've learned about Joseph so far is that he is completely submitted to God's control. 
right? He's completely submitted to God's way and God's perfect plan. Uh, unlike his father, Jacob, who oftentimes took matters into his own hands, refused to send uh, his son Benjamin at a certain point because he didn't trust that God had a plan, that God knew what was in store and had a plan for what would come. And, but Joseph Nonetheless, throughout all of his years in prison, was trusting in the perfect plan of God. And so now, this is a, this is a moment where all this is culminating, and he's, he's ultimately, this is a sudden thing. He couldn't bear it any longer. He cries out. He sends everyone else away for this moment that he could be alone with his brothers. It was to be an intimate moment. It was to be an opportunity for just him and his brothers to get them alone. And what a moment this must have been. Uh, they looked at him previously, up until this point, they looked at him as a tyrant who made their lives difficult. That's their view of Joseph. They didn't know it was Joseph. They just knew he was a ruler in Egypt. And at this point, they're thinking, this is a bad guy. This is a difficult guy. I don't want to put up with this guy anymore. He's a tyrant, and he makes our lives impossible. And then so suddenly, we see a shift as he just blurts it out. I can't bear it. He, he's got, he's in this place, I, he can't bear it any longer. He could not restrain himself. He sends everybody out. I just need these brothers. I just need a moment. And what a moment it was. So suddenly it was their brother Joseph, no longer this tyrant who made their lives difficult, and he wept aloud. What an emotional moment it was. He couldn't wait any longer. The anticipation was killing him, longing to be reconciled with his brothers and family. The emotion came out. He was putting them through the ringer so far, and at this point he couldn't do it anymore. He really was like, they've been through enough. He's seen them, and they're pleading, and you know, they're pleading with him. They're, they're, they're longing for their situation, their circumstance to change, and Joseph sees it. He weeps for them, and he weeps then with them, and his words are simple as he says, I am Joseph. A simple statement to de define who he is, to define that he is the brother that they had thrown or they had thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery. But there's a simple statement here because a simple truth makes a big impact. It is truth. He is Joseph. And so he makes this simple statement to make a big impact. I, I think of when uh, Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's response was, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. A simple statement, whom you are persecuting. A simple statement, the simple truth. It goes a long way. We can simply state truth. And what is truth that we can simply state? The gospel. Jesus is as Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, right? And now this is the, 
This is the, the transformation that happens in the life of Saul, who then becomes Paul and becomes radical for Jesus then at that point moving forward. That simple truth changed Paul's life, or Saul's life at that point. Simple truth changes the entire circumstance. It changes the entire perspective. And oftentimes, we want our circumstance to change in order for us to really look at God and, and, and honor him and think that, wow, he's really great because he fixed me. He's really great because he solved my problem. But rather, speaking the truth could actually bring great change to our perspective rather than just trying to fix our problems. And that truth, the, the truth of that statement, I am Joseph, first of all, it shocked them, obviously. Of course it shocked them. It would shock you too if so many years earlier you, you thought he's dead by now. You thought, I mean, the last we saw him, we sold him as a slave, at best, he's still a slave. At worst, he's dead. That's, that's what would be going through their mind. Not, at best, he's ruler of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh. This is not what they would anticipate. But yet, here he is. And that simple statement, and for us, guys, the simple truth, the gospel, reminding ourselves of the truth it goes a long way. And speaking the truth to the world around us goes a long way, that truth of the gospel. Just the other day, uh, in our staff meeting, we were having a discussion on what is it to set our mind on things above? What are the things above? We're talking about truth being one of those things. Also talking about Christ himself being one of those things. That we need our perspective to be set on the things above. Our mind to be capturing the things above and not the things of the world. And those things, we need to think on what is true, what is noble, what is peaceable, trustworthy, of good report. But we find ourselves oftentimes looking at our circumstances and, and crying out for help to solve the circumstance or to fix our problem, to change the circumstance when we can really come to that point of truth of who Jesus is. The gospel, it goes a long way. And so their response is that they were dismayed, it says, or troubled, or the translation actually says that they were terrified. I mean, realize what they're thinking. He's a slave or he's dead. So when he says, I am Joseph, they're like, are we speaking to a ghost? Is this a real person in front of us? Or is it our brother come back from the dead? Or how is this possible? That's their perspective. How is this possible in any way? And at the same time, they would be feeling the impact in that moment of all their guilt. When he says, I am Joseph, their hearts would have sunk to think, uh-oh. To think of what they deserve for the way that they have treated Joseph. 
to think of all the things that they put him through and the lie that they've been holding on to for so long and living their lives weaving through this lie and their encounters with Joseph there in Egypt, their encounters with one another and their encounters with their father were all dictated by this lie that they were living in. And now the truth comes out. I am Joseph. (gasps) Shock. So they're feeling the impact of their guilt. And they're feeling the impact of the, the fact that they had fallen into the hands of the one whom they had wronged in their brother Joseph. That's a scary thought. Oh, no. What is he going to do to us now? I mean, he's already made their lives difficult. But what is he going to do to us now? Likewise, the revelation of Jesus will awaken thoughts of sin and guilt as it did in the hearts of his brothers, awakening the, the, the feeling of guilt and the sin that they were carrying for so long, the revelation of Jesus, the light of Christ, awakens thoughts of sin and guilt. As it should, because then it brings conviction, which is necessary to make way for repentance. Verse four, we continue, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. These verses, these two verses here, we're seeing, we've seen a revelation of Joseph. He's revealed, I am Joseph. Now, further, we have a revelation of the purpose. We have a revelation of grace. He says, come near. He doesn't reveal himself and then just say, guards, seize them. Take care of the problem that, are, that is my brother's for these last many years, most of his life at this point. He says, come near. Not keeping them in doubt, or in fear, but addressing the fear and saying, come near. I am Joseph, who you sold into slavery. Now, what he's doing here, first he says, come near. And this is a picture of grace to say, come here. Isn't that what Jesus does for us, guys? We, we walk in sin, we confess our sin, he's revealed to us, and then he says, come here. Come here. He says, I am Joseph then, who you sold. And what he's doing here is he's identifying the sin. He's calling it out. Yeah, I remember. You sold me into slavery. But he doesn't leave them in waiting there for long. He doesn't just say, hey, yeah, I remember, guys. And you thought things were tough before. Well, I've got news for you. No, he says, come here. Come near to me. 
yeah, you did sell me out. You did sell me into slavery. You did do me wrong. Here's your sin. I'm calling it out. But what he says is, do not be grieved. And so as he identifies their sin, he's also pardoning their sin. He says, do not be grieved because as he pardons their sin, God sent me. God has a master plan. And God's plan is for redemption, for salvation. God sent me. Recognizing the perfect plan for this family to preserve life, to save them, to protect them, to provide for them. This is grace. The same way that God sent his son, Jesus, to draw us, come near, to call out sin, I am Joseph. As he even called out Saul, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Identifying and calling out the sin, but then he pardons the sin. Do not be grieved. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as he says that God sent me to preserve life, to bring hope. Now remember, this is a seven-year famine that Joseph knows about. They don't know about it. They just know they're in the midst of famine. And in the midst of that famine, he's, he's saying, look, God, God has a plan. God had a plan to save you, to bring you to me. He sent me on ahead so I could prepare for this moment, so I could prepare for this season, so I could prepare for the famine that you're in, and then I could provide for you, that I could save you, preserve your lives. Verse 6 then, for these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God has exalted him to a, a high place, the highest place in the land besides Pharaoh himself. But he has this incredible influence over Pharaoh as well. But what Joseph is doing, he's giving further credit and an explanation to God's perfect plan. Joseph had a gift. God gave him that gift to be able to see the seven years of famine. Joseph had a gift God gave him even before that to see that his brothers would be in this place of bowing down to him, which was a place of great need. Joseph saw it. And, the, and Joseph's whole life at that point was in preparation to rescue them, to save them. Again, a beautiful type of Christ that we see. And then further, 
We see God's plan playing out beautifully, but God gave him this gift, and even through the dreams there in, in the prison, that he interpreted these dreams for the butler, the baker, to be brought out of the prison, and then even to interpret the dream of Pharaoh to see the seven years of famine that was ahead so that he could do something about it. God gave him that gift, and God uses that gift. And see, that's what God is giving gifts for, is so that they can be used, not for us to puff ourselves up, not for us to walk around and say, I can interpret dreams to puff ourselves up. The gifts are not for us to just use to, to be on a pedestal that people might see and that they might glorify us, but that's the world we live in and people who, who may be in positions of authority and leadership are sometimes claiming possession over these things and say, I have the gift of healing. Well, why don't you go hang out in the hospital? Why don't you start healing the people in the hospital who are actually sick? God is able, and we can ask in faith and press into him in faith, but God will use his ability and work his ability through us, and then he'll use it. And that's what Joseph was given, the opportunity, the ability in these times and spaces to interpret dreams so that God could work out his perfect plan to save his people. And then he uses that. He uses Joseph in that place, in that gifting. Not in Joseph's ability that he gained through studying dreams, but in his God-given gift. God uses that. And God uses that gift for the purpose of salvation. Deliverance is the word that he uses. That was the purpose, that God might deliver his people is what the gift was for, to preserve the lineage, to preserve, as it says, a posterity, a future, and a hope for his people, to save their lives through deliverance from the famine that's in the land. This is all very practical, but also has beautiful spiritual pictures for us. And he gives that credit again. He says, God did this, not you. Saying, guys, I'm not giving you credit. You might think for a moment, see, we sold you into slavery. Worked out pretty good, huh? God did this, guys. And you know what he's doing is he is actually trying to bring their focus, trying to help them see God's perfect plan. Because they were living their lives in total sin, like I said before, caught up in their lie and living their life weaving through this lie that they had to fit everything into that lie that they sold their brother into slavery. And maybe you've been around people or maybe you are one of these people or you've been one of these people living a lie and then you have to fit everything else into your lie. That's his brothers. And what he's doing is saying, guys, we need to honor God. Because God did all of this. And God used you in your foolishness and wickedness. God worked through it. He did it all. So that you could be saved. 
God allowed you to throw me into slavery, to sell me into slavery, throw me in a pit. God allowed terrible things to happen to me for you. So that you could be redeemed. What a picture of Christ. God sent his son to suffer and die on a cross for us. For our redemption. The the rejection of Christ was then followed by the exaltation of Christ. Just as Joseph was exalted to this place of great authority. Verse 9, he says then, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made, the, made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty and there are still five years of famine. And behold, Your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. He's saying, listen, guys, go testify. Testify of what you've seen. Go tell my father. In that, let's complete this reconciliation. Go tell my father. And Joseph here, he sends them back to the father, restored, forgiven, And with a message, and that message is life. That message is salvation. That message is, first of all, your son is alive. That's the truth. Testify of that is what Joseph says. Your son is alive and there's hope. Throughout this famine, there's hope. There's promise. And that's exactly what grace does for us sanctifies us, sets us apart, and sends us to the Father to testify of the Son. Living out our lives, testifying that the Son, Jesus, is alive. That's what we're to be about. And his heart here is to say that you may be near to me. Go tell my Father. Give him this message that I want him near to me so I could protect you guys. Joseph, he's, he's revealing his plan and his desire. Look, this is my desire to protect you, to care for you, to help you in the midst of the, this famine, as is the desire of Jesus. As, he, as Joseph says, be that he would want his father to be near to him, his family to be near to him. This is the heart of Jesus, that we would be near him. God has been desiring fellowship with people from the beginning. That's what he created was perfect fellowship between God and man. And then sin created separation, and God has been seeking out that fellowship ever since and made a way for that fellowship through the Son, Jesus Christ. And now here it is. There is opportunity for the fellowship, for that reconciliation of this family because God sent the Son. And in this, in this story, 
God sent Joseph. So he could take care of them and all their needs. A further picture of grace. It keep, grace just keeps going. It gets better and better, right? Not only is he not going to wipe out his brothers for what they've done, but he gives grace. Do not be grieved. There's hope. And then he gives this great promise for them, this, this future for them. And further, he's saying, look, not only that, but I want to take care of all of your needs. Go tell dad. I want you guys to come and live near me. I want to set you up. I'm going to make sure you're going to make it through the famine. In the same way that Christ looks at us, I'm going to take care of you guys. I want to make sure you make it. Even though we fail time and time again, we fall short. Jesus desires to be near to us. And he calls us to fellowship with him so he can take care of all of our needs, so that he can save us from destruction. Verse 13, then he says, so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Tell my father. Now, what does that require? Telling Jacob Telling his father requires the confession of sin, doesn't it? They, they would have to go back to dad and be like, hey, Joseph's alive. He'd say, what? Now, hold on a minute. I've got evidence that proves otherwise. You guys gave me the coat. Well, actually, dad, we gotta tell you something. <laughs> we gotta tell you the rest of the story. So, it didn't go down that way. Let's just, you know, they had to be, for once, finally, they had to face their sin and be truthful. They had to bring this reconciliation through the confession of sin. Telling the Father required a confession, as does our salvation. We're called to confess that we are sinners. And if we confess that we are sinners, 1 John tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is grace. That's the picture of what we're seeing in this chapter of Genesis 45. Well, further, verse 14, then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the restoration, beautiful, beautiful restoration between these brothers that's taking place. He wept on Benjamin. He wept on his brothers. Benjamin wept on him. He kissed his brothers. This was a moment of sorrow, but, but joyful sorrow. It was, a, it was godly sorrow. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to life, leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow produces death. This weeping proves his intent to bring salvation, that they might be safe, they might be saved from destruction. 
And this brings full restoration between these brothers. Further, verse 16 then, he says, Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. This news pleased Pharaoh and his servants. This means that there were resources to back it up. He's not just sending them off and be like, hey, guys, I'm going to take care of you. I'm, I'll figure it out, though. No, Pharaoh was pleased. And if Pharaoh was pleased, that meant he had all the backing of Pharaoh. And then verse 17 to 23, let's read. And we're going to see all the backing up of that statement. And, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. So Pharaoh was pleased, and Pharaoh proved it. He backed it up. Hey, listen, this is great news, Joseph. Go tell your brothers. I got lots for them to take home and to, to kind of to, to reel your father and the whole family in. Let's get them here. This is going to be great. He backed it up. We're, we're pointed to the greatness of resources that Joseph had access to. We've been studying a lot in Ephesians, right, about God's economy and the greatness of the resources that he gives. And this is a picture of that, these limitless resources. Jesus, who is rich in grace and mercy, gives grace and mercy. So we're pointed then to the, the great resources of Pharaoh uh, and, and also then pro providing the provision that is offered to them for the detail, for every step of the journey, everything was provided. Enough change of clothes and all of the, the food and the grain, any, all that you would need for the journey. Really what he's giving them is a first class ticket to go pick up the family and bring them back. Round trip, guys. And this is also proving Joseph's generosity and willingness to give freely. All that has been given to him, he freely gives. All of the resources that have been entrusted to him, he's saying, this is yours, guys. Just like Christ. Also in this, it's providing all of the evidence that is necessary for Jacob to prove that his son is alive. And then verse 24, as he says, see that you not 
be troubled along the way. Now he provides for them to try to help make sure they're not troubled along the way. But he also knows his brothers, doesn't he? Some troubled men, right? I mean, they've had some issues over the years. He gives them a first-class ticket. Say, hey, guys, make sure you can travel comfortably. Enough for the journey there and the journey back. And then he challenges them. See that you not be troubled. And the translation would indicate he's speaking of trouble among themselves. See that you not have trouble between you guys. Now notice that he gave extra blessing to Benjamin. That could possibly cause some trouble. These guys already proved to be a jealous bunch, right? But he says, see that you not be troubled. He, he challenges them to guard their hearts. See, you've been given this hope of a promise, but guard your hearts. Don't get into it with each other along the way. Don't get caught up in quarrels along the way. Don't get jealous of each other. Just bring the good news. And far too often, and this is, this, is a great, this is great advice for them, but this is a great word for us. Guard your hearts against jealousy, against the quarrels, the, the issues that we may have, and don't get caught up in trouble along the journey. Jesus has given us everything we need for the journey. We don't have to worry about what he gave somebody else. Verse 25 then. So then they went out, up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. They, they couldn't, they're like, wow. They had time. They had a few days journey to figure out what to say. And the whole time, they, they just come up with this. But you know what? They just, like they, like they heard from Joseph, the tr truth is just blurted out. I am Joseph. They're like, Joseph's alive. Praise the Lord. They couldn't contain it either. They had to just blurt it out. Now, that wasn't really great for dad. He kind of almost had a heart attack. He, you know, he stood still. He, What? They told the good news, Jacob didn't believe it because it was shocking news. And because of doubt, because of fear, because of all these things that Jacob had already seen go horribly wrong. And now they're like, hey, not only did we come back with all the brothers, but Joseph's alive too. Fear and doubt will cause us not to believe the truth. But, they, but he needed to be told the truth. Jesus is alive. That's our truth. Joseph is alive. Your son is alive. There's hope. We need to be reminded of that truth. Jesus is alive. There's hope. And death has no power over us. And then... Then they softened things up a little bit here, right? But then they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them. 
And when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. I mean, he needed to be revived here. He was in total shock about the news of Joseph. And then he was revived by this hope and this promise. They told him the rest of the story. And they presented the evidence that Joseph is alive. All of these things, these are the gifts that are sent for you, Dad. This is what is sent for you to bring you back to your son, to Joseph, to bring this full reconciliation. And then Jacob says this, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It is enough. He was convinced because of the overwhelming evidence, because of the riches of grace and mercy, the overwhelming evidence, it is enough. Grace is enough. The overwhelming evidence, it's clear. Jesus has shown us it is enough. But do we live our lives in a way that says that it's enough, or do we live in doubt and fear, crippled? Even at the point that we cannot believe, grace is actually that amazing. It will shock us. Grace is true. And grace silences the fear and silences the doubt. The truth silences the fear and silences the doubt. It is enough. And he proclaims then the truth. Joseph, my son, is still alive and I will go and see him before I die. There's so many things that point us to Jesus, that point us to the message of the gospel, the message of grace in this chapter and really throughout the entire life of Joseph, and we should be reminded of the truth that Jesus is alive, and there's incredible hope, there's incredible promise, and he's given us everything that we need for the journey. Let's not get distracted. Let us not be troubled along the way. Jesus said, let, let your heart not be troubled. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. There's great promise. There's an abundance of wealth, an abundance of riches that we've never seen or could even imagine. And in the midst of the famine, no problem. Put your hope in Jesus. He redeems and he restores. And he brings us to himself, to be near to him, to be reconciled with him. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for the work of the cross, for the hope of eternal life, and that hope being the expectation that we have, that your word is true, and that you have a perfect plan, and we surrender to you. Oh, Lord, would you just work in our hearts? 
Maybe you're here with us today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. I want to just give you that opportunity, as we so often do, to put your trust in him. And even throughout this chapter, there's all these parallels of the gospel, the need for confession of sin, to confess that we are sinners. It's necessary for salvation because we need to see our desperation. And so would you do that if you've never done it before? Or maybe you just prayed a prayer one day and you haven't lived it out. Would you in this place tonight confess your sin before Jesus? And you can say these simple words, but it's just a prayer. It's just words. But, but the, the desire of your heart is what is needed and the, the relationship and giving your life to Jesus is what's needed. So you could say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.